Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. I do want to say that we are so looking forward to hope and healing in a few weeks. Um, it's, if you've never been to a hope and healing service, it's something that the Lord put on our heart that we do. Um, and we have not done one in quite a while, but we've been challenged by the Lord to return back to doing them on a fairly regular basis. And it's just a healing night. It's a night when we come together and we worship and we praise and we, we create opportunity and create space to minister to people's needs. And we, we always say this, we say that it's hope for your heart and healing for your body. Um, because we believe that God's in the healing business. In fact, what I want to talk to you about today is healing. Um, I have just come through a week of cold and crud and yucky coughing and stuff, and my whole house has. And I think I think there's actually a lot of people here that are, that are not here this morning that have experienced the same thing. And uh, quite frankly, it irritates the snot out of me when the devil tries to manipulate people and, and, and put... Uh, you know, put put heal, uh, put sickness on people and try to pressure people into um, being sick. And so I just want to share with you some stuff from the scriptures this morning that I think are going to be really helpful and powerful. Uh, it's not a pressure situation. You know, one of the things that we do, unfortunately, in the church is we, we tend to use things like healing and things like the blessing of God as, as like a, a, a system of brownie points. Um, like, you know, hey, if, if, if I can get a healing, I'm better off than you are. My faith is better and more, my faith is stronger. And, uh, and we, we sometimes use it as a measuring stick in our own lives. And I think that's not fair. I don't think that's godly. Um, healing is part of the atonement. Uh, it's, it's part of the covenant that God has made with us through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at that very carefully from, from the scripture today. So I'm going to lead us through a handful of different verses uh, and different passages to paint a picture for you. Um, but, uh, but before we do that, I just want to say, if you, if you are available and you don't have plans already for November 12th, make your plans to be here with us for our hope and healing service, because it really, really is a powerful time. Uh, oftentimes God will move, um, his spirit will move, Oftentimes, prophetically, people will get prophetic words and, and, and the Lord will speak to them. I promise you that if you come here and join with us that night, you're going to leave built up, refreshed, and uh, encouraged by the presence of the Lord. So uh, that having been said, it is so great to see people who are here with us for the first time. I'm so thankful to have you with us today. Uh, it's just a blessing to be together. So please do, as Brianne said, just connect with us because we would love to uh, just fill you in and share with you all the great things that God's doing at Hope Church. Amen. How many of you are ready for the word? Amen. I am. I tell you what, I'm excited. God is good. <clears throat> I want to uh, lead us in our confession of faith as you're turning this morning to Psalm 103. If you have your Bible with you, Psalm 103 is where I'd like for us to go. And we're also going to look at about four or five other verses. But Psalm 103 is where we'll start. As you're turning there, you can look up on the screens. Let's make our confession of faith together that we so frequently love to do. You can read it out loud. If you're watching us by way of online stream, you'll see this on your screen. Let's, let's declare this out loud together. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today, I am growing in the things of God. We believe that we're growing together today in the things of God. I believe the Lord's going to speak to you today and he's going to encourage you and strengthen you. Amen. Something that I love about the word is that no matter how many times I have seen or read a passage, God, because he's so infinite and because his word is so infinite, God can find and often does find new ways to speak to my heart through verses that I've read a thousand times. Have y'all had that experience before where you just like, oh yeah, Psalm 23. I know that one inside and out. And then all of a sudden, God shows you something new. Amen. So I want to encourage you that, that though 
though you may have heard some of these scriptures before, will you, will you make, the, make the decision today to lean into them and just receive something new from, from the word today? I believe God's going to uh, encourage us and show us new things. Psalm 103, I'm going to read the first few verses here. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've been, that you have given us today. Lord, to come before your word, we're, we're so grateful to be able to receive from the wisdom that your word offers us. Father, I thank you that this is an, uh, just a day, Lord, where you have the opportunity to speak to our hearts, where we've quieted ourselves. We've come before you in your presence, and now we expect and we anticipate that you're going to speak to us. So, Lord, we invite you to do that. Speak to our hearts today. Minister your grace, your peace, your mercy, your life, and your joy, your healing to us today. And as you do, Father, we'll be careful to give you the praise. We'll be careful to give you the credit. Lord, that when things go right in our lives, you receive all the glory. And when they go wrong in our lives, you receive none of the blame. We'll give you thanks for these moments and we consecrate them to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. This, this verse, I wanted to go to it first to try to set, um, set a little precedent in our minds here as we journey through several other verses because the, the point that I want to make to you today is that healing is a part, a very big part, of the atonement in our lives. You say, what is the word atonement? How many of you, just by show of hands, are familiar with the word atonement? Okay, so about half of us, okay? So for those who didn't raise your hand for whatever reason, the word atonement basically is the word which describes the removal of our sins, the covering over of our sins. Um, it, it's a word that dates back to the um, Hebrew culture and the, Israel, uh, the Israeli tradition of faith, Judaism, where, um, where there was a, a feast and a, a festival where uh, Moses, or, or excuse me, Aaron, would take blood from a bull and blood from a goat, and they would sprinkle that blood over the mercy seat in the tabernacle. I, I'm going to try to pack this in real fast because there's a whole lot to it. But this, this was a tradition that comes from Judaism of, of covering over the sins of the nation of Israel, that a sacrifice was made once per year, and the high priest would take that blood uh, from that sacrifice and sprinkle it over the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. How many of you ever watched um, Indiana Jones? Anybody ever watched Indiana Jones and uh, what was it, the Last Crusade? Yeah, where he where he goes to find the Ark of the Covenant. And and, and do you remember the the image of the Ark of the Covenant when when it's all it's this golden box and there's these two angels uh, with, with they're they're called cherubims and their their wings are pointing at each other. This was an actual artifact that existed in the nation of Israel, and it was the it was the box the Ark that held God's presence, and it contained the law of Moses. And it contained, uh, you know, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And it contained the rod of Aaron, which represented authority. And I find it so interesting that in the nation of Israel, uh, the, the, the law of God and the authority of God was held inside the Ark of the Covenant. But, but neither of those two things were visible. The only thing that was actually visible was the mercy seat. Because God's law is very important and his authority is very important, but God always leads with his mercy. Can you say amen? 
that no matter, no matter what God wants to do in your life, he's going to start with his mercy. And so, <clears throat> so once a year, the, the high priest would, would, would uh, you know, slaughter this animal and they would take the blood and sprinkle it over that box, sprinkle it over that mercy seat. And they called that the atonement. It was representative. It was, it was a, 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 a sacrifice that was made on behalf of the nation of Israel. Well, you fast forward several thousand years and Jesus comes on the scene. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus becomes the sacrifice in place of the bull, in place of the goat, in place of that Hebrew tradition. Jesus becomes the sacrifice. And, and, and the Bible t- explains to us that after he's risen from the dead, he goes to heaven and he takes his own blood and he applies it to the mercy seat in heaven. And so, so for those who would believe in his name, for those who would call Jesus their Lord, they have been washed in his blood, atoned for and covered and they're sin has been completely erased. Aren't you glad that your sin has been erased from history? Amen. That God's not looking at you according to your sin. He's not judging you according to your sin. He judges you according to Jesus' perfection. You have been atoned for. I want to make the argument for you this morning that healing, part of that atonement, that when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, he didn't just die for your sin. Now, if he had, how many of you know that'd be good enough? Wouldn't it? I mean, how many of you think like, yeah, praise God, heaven's my eternal home. I've got a hope uh, beyond my life and praise God, that's awesome. If Jesus never, my my dad used to say it like this, if Jesus never did another thing for me, I'd still be thankful. Amen. Y'all awake this morning? We're gonna have some fun in here today. (laughs) So if Jesus never did anything else for us, purging us of our sins would be enough. But I'm here to tell you there's so much more in his atonement. There's so much more in his sacrifice than than literally just saving us from our sins. And, and, And the writer of Psalms, David, in this particular psalm, sets us up to help us remember that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and... Forget not all his benefits. Why would David tell us not to forget the benefits of walking with the Lord? Why would he tell us that? Because sometimes you forget, and he's telling you not to forget. Sometimes when you get into a situation that puts pressure on you, It's easy to forget what it means to walk with the Lord, especially when your feelings start to press in on you. Anybody ever have a day where you're just totally dominated by your feelings? Oh my gosh. I'm with you. Danny said it, I'm human. That's true. So David's reminding us that we we need to not forget that walking with the Lord comes with benefits. There's advantages to living with Jesus that you just don't get to experience if you don't walk with the Lord. Amen. I mean, it's not hard to understand, right? I mean, it's like, okay, it's like when your doctor tells you that you need to eat less fast food and you need to eat more broccoli, Why would he tell you to do that? Because there's benefits to eating broccoli. Your A1C is going to come down if you eat green beans instead of French fries. Okay, right? It's not hard to understand, Mark Smith. It's not hard. It's not hard to understand. I just, I was just, I don't know where that came from. That must have been the Lord. I don't know. Oh, that was awesome. Sorry, man. Just, I love Mark. He can handle it. I'm not worried about it. No, there's what? There's benefits to living a certain way. It's not about legalism. It's not about creating a framework that, you, you know, that you're judged if you don't do it this way. But it's not that. It's not about creating a legalistic framework. But it is about understanding that when I walk with the Lord, good things happen. When I'm close to the Father, my life goes better because he designed it that way. 
So let me read this to you one more time. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who what? What are the benefits? He forgives all your iniquities. Praise God. Iniquities is a long word for sin. He forgives me of everything I've ever done wrong. He heals all of my diseases. All of them. How many? All. Thumbnail, uh, hangnails. Common cold. Cancer. AIDS. You name it. Doesn't matter the severity. God heals it all. Amen. Who redeems your life from destruction. I don't have time to talk about what the word redeems means, but my goodness. Redeems, it really, it just means to buy back. Amen. To trade. Do you ever go, anybody ever go to, all right, I'm going to talk about redeems for a second. Do you ever go to Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> anybody ever go to Chuck E. Cheese? Yes. Amen. A few of us, mostly adults. Um, you, go, you go to Chuck E. Cheese, you play whack-a-mole or, or skee-ball or whatever, and, and you, what do you get? You get a, these long sheets of tickets. And at the end of the night, what do you do? You take your tickets to the counter and you redeem Whatever it is that you wanted at that counter, the big teddy bear or the, you know, squirt gun or whatever it is back there, you take what's yours and you put it on the counter and you say, I'm redeeming that thing there by giving you what's mine. I've, I, I've earned all this stuff. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put what I've earned on the counter and you're going to give me the thing that I want. Jesus redeemed you with his life. Jesus went before God Almighty and said, I've earned salvation, I've earned healing, I've earned peace of mind, I've earned, uh, you know, you name it, I've earned the blessing, I've earned joy, I've earned mercy, I've earned grace, what they will never be able to earn, I've earned it, and I'm exchanging what I've earned for them. And you are the them. You're the one Jesus redeemed. What does he do? He redeems your life from destruction. He snatched you out of the destruction. He didn't leave you in it. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. This verse will always mean something so significant to me personally and to my wife. Because when we were pregnant with Abigail, Claire was two years and right around two years old. We were, um, we were here at Watauga Medical Center one day getting our routine uh, ultrasound. And so they put the thing, you know, with the, with the goo on my wife's belly. It was a little smaller than mine is now. And, uh, and so there they are, and we're looking at our baby on the screen, you know, and you hear the... And it's like, oh gosh, is this, this thing's alive. This is awesome. And there was Abigail on the screen. We didn't know what she would look like yet. But, uh, but she was on the screen, and I, I'll never forget that um, the, the lady who was doing the ultrasound was like, hmm. And you, you don't ever want to hear a hmm when you're in a doctor's office. And so we were like, what's going on? And she said, you see that spot on the baby's heart? And we said, yeah, sure. She said, I don't know what that spot is, and it's concerning. And so she said, we're going to send you down to Winston to go see a specialist. And so um, naturally, we, like Sean said during offering, we do what most of us do. We go to Dr. Google, you know, we go, we get on our phones and start asking questions. And so, of course, we saw that, that this white spot that we saw on the screen could be a number of different things. It could be something simple. It could be something very catastrophically bad. And, and how many of you know Google doesn't curate the results for you in, in, a, in a helpful way? Don't ever look on WebMD, man. You'll be cons you know, convinced that you're going to die before the search is over. And, um, and so we're like, well, this is, this is not good. So they want us to go see a specialist. Well, we prayed. And we sought the Lord. And, um, and we went down to Winston, just the two of us. And we got into the room there. And the, late, the first lady came in, the first nurse. And she did the same thing. Put the goo on there and start, you know, and, you know... And we're, okay, we're looking at the, the screen again. Here we are, but we're in a different place. And, and, and the, the, the nurse is like, yeah, I see that spot, you know, I don't know. She said, let me get the doctor. And the, the specialist lady came in. And now in between the, the, the nurse leaving and the, the specialist doctor coming in, Brianne and I had just a minute to ourselves. 
And we just sought the Lord. And I pulled out, I had a little pocket-sized New Testament Bible with me. And it also has the book of Psalms and Proverbs in it. If you've ever gotten a Gideon Bible, it's a little tiny thing like that. And I opened to this Psalm 103 and I prayed it over my wife and I prayed it over my child. And I said, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that this child has perfect anatomy. And that was the word that the Lord had given us that we were standing on, that this child had perfect anatomy. And so the doctor came in and she did the scans and, the, and, and, and then the doctor goes, hmm. And I thought, oh no, more hmms. And she's like, hmm, hmm. And then she tried it from a different angle. She's like, hmm. And she turned and she looked at Brienne and she goes, why are you here? This is a true story. I'm not making this up. Lying, crying, I ain't shed a tear. I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. She said, why are you here? We said, well, the people in Boone told us we had to come here to find out what's wrong with our baby. And she said, there's nothing wrong with your baby. In fact, she couldn't find the spot on the screen. And we'd just seen it 10 minutes prior. She said, there's nothing wrong with this baby. She said, this baby's got perfect anatomy. And we rejoiced. And yeah, amen. I can give the Lord credit. Now, ever since she's been born, you know, it's, uh, no, so I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Amen. She's still perfect. She lost a tooth last night, didn't you? On the way home from Hope Harvest. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> this psalm will always be a reminder to me of the faithfulness of the Lord. Now, I understand that there have been times in my life like that where God has moved in a powerful way instantaneously. And then there have been times in my life where I've prayed and I didn't see anything happen. And I, I want to present a, a, a scriptural argument for you this morning that will help to encourage you in both scenarios. Because I, I've had times where I'm left questioning, going, Lord, I prayed for this person and I didn't see the result. Or Lord, I prayed for myself and I didn't feel any, any different. What is one to do when the experience of our life doesn't match up with what the Word says? Well, I'm here to tell you that when your experiences don't match what the Bible says, the thing you're supposed to do is stay committed to what the Bible says regardless of what our circumstance is telling us. I can't allow myself to change who God has said He is just because my experience is challenged by that. Is that making sense to you today? I'm trying to share this because I don't want to just lay down a heavy-handed message on healing because I've been in, in some of those. And even though I agreed with everything the person was saying, it was so heavy-handed that I walked away feeling guilty because I didn't get a miracle the last time I prayed. Anybody ever been there before? Like I've been in like some heavy-handed places where I'm like, man, I agree with everything that you're saying, but right now I feel guilty for some reason. I'm not, I don't want to inspire that this morning. I want us to look at what the word says in about, for about 20 minutes. And I just want us to see this progressive pattern, this prophetic unfolding in scripture. So can, we, can you go with me? Uh, I want to take you to two or three verses. The first one is Isaiah 53. This, this will come as no surprise. This is such a, such a well-established, well-understood verse. Amen. Isaiah 53. If we have time, we're going to make it over to John 4. I don't know if we're going to get there or not, but, or excuse me, John 5, but we got a couple other places to stop first. Isaiah 53. <clears throat> and we'll, we'll begin in reading in verse 3. Now, you know that this is talking about Jesus. This is what is referred to as a messianic prophecy, meaning it's speaking of the Messiah. Let's start in verse 3. It says, He is despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Now that touches on what I preached about last week. Hiding from the presence of God. 
living with shame. Jesus took your shame on the cross. Amen. Let's keep going. Verse four, surely, everybody say surely. Surely makes me think of that movie Airplane. You can't be serious. I am serious and don't call me Shirley. Anyways, neither here nor there. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. The word grief in the Hebrew is the word for sickness and the word sorrows in the, Greek, in the Hebrew is the word for pain. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pain. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Anybody ever gone astray in their life? Not just me and Isaiah, right? We have turned every one to his own way, and yet the Lord has laid on Jesus, on him, the iniquity of us all. I mean, when you consider the, the magnitude of what Jesus carried to the cross, it's incredible. He didn't just carry your sin. He didn't just carry one of your sins. I mean, if you could sit down and just think about the worst sin you've ever committed. I, I don't encourage you to do this, but I'm just, for, you know, just for example. If you, if you were to sit down and think of the worst sin you ever committed, that's just one sin. You think about the guilt that goes with that and all that. I mean, we've all been there before. But that's just one sin from your life. Jesus carried the sin of humanity. Jesus carried Hitler's worst day to the cross. It's crazy to think about it. Jesus carried, you know, Osama bin Laden's sin to the cross. All of it. So it's no wonder that Jesus was so weighed down when he, went to, when he went to the cross. Look what he was carrying. And not only that, before he ever even got to that cross, they beat him. They scourged him. The Bible talks about it. We're going to look at it in just a second. But the Bible talks about how they scourged Jesus. Pontius Pilate had Jesus scourged. And if you... If you understand anything about history, you know that a Roman scourging, what that was, was a, a nine-tailed whip that they called the cat of nine tails. Everybody's pretty much familiar with this. Had fragments of bone and pottery and broken glass woven into each strand of this whip. And that when they laid these, this whip down on Jesus' back, it tore into his flesh. It tore into his organs. It, it mangled and mutilated him. And that was before he ever even got to the cross. And Isaiah is prophesying all of this 600 years before Jesus ever even shows up. And he does it with such articulate perfection. He does it with such accuracy. Surely he's borne our griefs. That's our sickness. Surely he's carried our sorrows. That's our pains. By his stripes, we're healed. What stripes? Those lashes that he took in his scourging. Those weren't for your salvation. Those were for your healing. It was the nails that pierced him when he hung on the cross as the, as the lamb of God, the sacrifice. That was for your sin. But the beating that he took on the way there, that was for your sickness. And the nakedness that he endured, that was for your shame. There's a reason why they call it amazing grace, man. It's amazing. So Isaiah prophesies this whole thing with, with phenomenal accuracy. And then we go over to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27 says, in verse 24, when Pilate, that's Pontius Pilate, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather a tumult was rising, 
a tumult. We should bring that word back into popular use. A riot, in other words. When Pilate saw that he couldn't control the crowd and instead a riot was happening, he took water and he washed his hands and said, look, I'm innocent of this, of the blood of this just person. It's amazing to me that Pontius Pilate could see that Jesus was not a criminal, but it was this demon-possessed mob that was convinced that he was. Next verse, 25. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Yikes. Then he released the criminal Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, before we go any farther, I just want you to to make the connection in your mind between what we just read in Isaiah 53 and what we're reading here in Matthew 27. You making the connection? By his stripes, we are healed. When he released Barabbas to them, he had Jesus scourged. Again, very articulate, very accurate. Jesus took stripes on his body. He took a scourging and a beating so that you and I could be healed. Now, I want us to go even farther in the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 2. You say, what are you doing, Pastor John? I'm, I'm stringing together a prophetic story here so that you can see from start to finish what happened at Calvary. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Actually, let's go back to verse 22. Now let's go to verse 21. Okay, verse 21. Here we go. <clears throat> For... For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving to us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He was the perfect lamb. Jesus was completely innocent when he went to the cross. Jesus was completely innocent when he bore stripes on his back. Verse 23, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Oh my gosh, what a lesson. What an example. When when literally while he's being beaten, he's not even fighting back. Do you understand this is the son of God? He just got done telling Pontius Pilate that, listen, unless unless authority from my father had been given unto you, you couldn't do anything to hurt me. Do you understand that Jesus had the power to go like that and cause all of it to stop and cause all the guys beating him around to die of a heart attack and just fall out? Jesus had the absolute power to retaliate at any moment, but when he was reviled, he didn't push back. He gave himself. Watch what Peter says. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but committed himself to God who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Do you see the narrative, the consistency of the scriptural narrative here? That what started with Isaiah's prophecy happened and is recorded as having happened in the Gospels. And now Peter, who was there watching all this happen, is is telling us it actually happened. Why am I telling you all this? Why am I making this argument from Scripture? Because I want you to understand something. You have a right to believe God for your healing just as much as you have a right to believe God for your salvation. Now, it gets funny when we start talking about rights when it comes to God. Because we don't want to sound irreverent. How many of you are reverent to the Lord? How many of you just love Jesus, man? And I just, listen, I'm, I'm super reverent to, to, to God. He's my father. He's, listen, he's the creator of the universe. He's God Almighty. And he will never not be God Almighty. And I'm, I'm very reverent to who he is. But I have to understand that at his, as his child, he's made some things available to me and I have the right to take advantage of what he's made available to me. 
It's not a heavy-handed thing. It's not, I'm not demanding anything from God. Amen. You see, we got to be careful to talk about this stuff because, it, because listen, we, we, we hear people say things and we get the wrong impression. We talk about commanding things and demanding. And we think, I don't have the right to demand anything from God. And guess what? You're right, you don't. You absolutely have the right to, to, to command the devil around, though. Right? See, we've got to create some delineation here. You have the right to tell the devil what to do. And God has given you the right to receive in what Jesus has done for you. Now, I understand the question comes up, well, what, how, how, come, how come the world doesn't look you know, in better shape? How come, how come I've prayed and my prayers haven't been answered before? How come I prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed right away? How come I prayed for somebody and they didn't receive? Well, it's the same question as asking, how come I prayed for my family member and they haven't been saved? Selah. Selah. Selah means stop and think about it, by the way, just in case anybody didn't know what that means. <clears throat> the point I'm trying to make here is that as available, uh, salvation as available it is, as it is, healing is just as available as salvation. It really is. Now, I don't want to hurt you. And I don't want to challenge you to the point that you feel frustrated because like I said at the beginning, I've heard people preach on healing and sometimes it's been so heavy-handed that I'm like, man, I agree with you, but stop beating me up. Don't make me feel guilty. I'm not here to burden you with something as much as I'm here to announce to you that there's good news. You can be healed. There's good news. You can be healed. You can be healed. And you have, you have just as much access to healing as you have to salvation. Now, I'm not going to take, we don't have time to talk about how, how do we receive all of that. Well, there's, I could preach for another three hours about that. But suffice it to say, I, you know, I, I've been dealing with sickness in my body this week, and it just ticks me off. And so when the enemy comes to try to put sickness in my household, I push back by preaching about healing on Sunday. Amen? Amen. And I understand, I've, I've talked to several people in the church this week, and they say, how you doing? Well, you know, everybody's got the crud. Okay, well, maybe we just need to be reminded because David told us that we shouldn't forget all the benefits that come with walking with the Lord. You have the right to be healed. And I want to tell you that you have the right to live in your future regardless of your past. Regardless of how it went the last time you prayed for healing, today is a new day. And, and the Bible says that all things are possible to him who believes. So no matter what happened in your past, no matter how it went the last time you prayed for healing, don't stop praying for it today. Because the same Jesus that bore your sins is the same Jesus that bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases. And he put them to death on the cross and you can receive health and wholeness and healing. I want to go to John 5. We'll just do this real quickly. Frank, you can come up. I'm about done. <clears throat> John chapter 5 is a really awesome section of, of Scripture here where, where Jesus heals this gentleman at the pool of Bethesda. And, and it's interesting because I was, there's so many other verses I could have gone to. I was, I was looking through the Word this week, and I'm thinking like, man, there's so many different things to say about healing. What, what to say? What to, what, Lord, how do you want me to present this? There's so many examples from Jesus' ministry. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And then the Bible talks to us out of Mark chapter 16 and said that after Jesus told the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the scripture says that they did it, they obeyed him. And it says that the, that, that the Spirit of God came and worked with the word that they preached and signs and wonders and miracles happened. So what Jesus established in his ministry was, the, was what he expected and, and still expects for the body of Christ to, to have happen now. 
You and I are living in the expression of Jesus' earthly ministry. We're meant to continue his earthly ministry. Amen. Is that making sense to you this morning? I mean, what Jesus began, we get to continue. <coughs> so I thought there's a thousand different... Oh, everybody okay? All right. Amen. Uh, there's so many different ways that, that, that we could look at healing, and there's so many different... Um, examples of it. But I wanted to look at John 5 very quickly as I close with with this today. And it says that there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I'm just reading from verse 1. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five porches. The word Bethesda is the word which means house of mercy or house of grace. And I found something out that's very interesting about this place, this area, this five-porch area with pools, that before Jesus' time, this was actually a neighborhood in Jerusalem that was very, like, posh. And uh, these pools were a place where rich people would come. It's kind of like the country club of Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Bethesda. But it wasn't called Bethesda then. But this is like, you know, the, the previous couple generations before Jesus was born. In Jerusalem, there's, there's this country club, and all the rich people go hang out by the pools. And they believed that the pools, they were spring-fed pools, and they believed that these pools had medicinal value. So only the rich people could access them. And uh, it was a country club, man. That's where they go to, you know, chill out. And so at some point in time prior to Jesus, the pool, the spring that fed these pools dried up. So no more water was coming in. And so the water became still. And you know what happens when water becomes still. It gets rancid. It gets nasty. And so it got gross. So the rich people abandoned it. And what happened was all the sick people that had never had access to these medicinal pools came and began to gather on these five porches around Bethesda. They renamed it Bethesda because what happened was every so often an angel would come and stir the water back up and purify the water. And as soon as they could, whoever got in the pool first got healed. So what happened is people began, sick people began to cram into this area. And, and, and I've, I've learned this through history that this neighborhood where this, where this pool was by this sheep gate is really close to where Mary, Jesus' mom, grew up and where her parents lived. In fact, you can go to Jerusalem today and go right in that neighborhood, and there's, a, there's the house, this first century house that they believe was where Mary, Mary the Virgin, where her parents lived. So it's very likely that Jesus was visiting his grandparents and left to stop by this pool called Bethesda. He was just in the neighborhood, you know? Stop by grandma's for a little cheesecake. <clears throat> and it says, in these laid a great multitude of sick people. The word multitude is, is the word which means a number that, that's too big to count, that nobody stopped to actually count it because it was such a large group. And then the, the word before it is the word great, which means like exceedingly big. So the, in other words, John's trying to get us to understand that there was a massive number of sick people here. Like just everybody in the room was touching, you know? And it says, in this lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time in the pool and stirred up the water that whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now there's so many things I could say there, but we're going to keep going. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. This dude been sitting at this pool for almost four decades. Wow. 38 years. And it's interesting because it says now a certain man. Something I learned. Every time you see the Gospel writers use that word, that word, certain. They use it to tell you that at the time of this writing, that person is still alive. 
So whoever was reading this gospel of John, they knew who this certain guy was. He was still living. You know, Brother Bob. Y'all remember when Brother Bob, you know, short Brother Bob, not tall Brother Bob, the guy who works out in the parking. You know what I'm saying? Brother Bob, he got healed. Remember when Jesus went to Bethesda? Do you remember? Do you remember Brother Bob? Do you remember 21st night of September? Brother Bob got healed over at Bethesda. Now he's dancing the night. I had to finish it. Sorry. Y'all remember Brother Bob? This certain man, he was still alive at the time that John wrote it. Why does he say that? To lend credibility to what he's about to write. Because otherwise, some things that, that transpire in the gospel are too good for us to even comprehend. So he's got to validate it and say, no, 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 you can go ask Brother Bob. This certain man, he's still living. If you don't believe me, go find out. Go talk to him. A certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered and said, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up. But while I'm coming, still another steps down before me. I've counseled with a lot of people over the years, and it's interesting to me that people, no matter how trapped they are in something, when you ask them a simple question like, do you want to be well? They give you a real complicated answer. Can I tell you why I hate sickness so much? Because sickness paralyzes your life. It, it takes up your time. It takes up your energy. It takes up your money. It takes up your emotional energy. It takes up, it, it injures your family. It holds you back in so many different ways. I hate sickness. It's from the pit of hell. And Jesus dealt with it in the atonement. And you see that maybe more than any other examples in scripture. You see it with this guy in Bethesda. Here he is. No future, no prospects, no, no opportunity. He's just living on the system because he has no other choice. He can't do anything for himself. He's so beyond repair that he can't even get to the water when the water's troubled. And Jesus, despite this man's excuse, despite this man's situation, despite everything about this scenario, Jesus cuts through all of it and he says, do you want to be made well? Take up your bed and walk. Jesus cuts through all of the minutiae. He cuts through all of the issue. He goes right to the heart of it. He says, you want to be made well? In other words, he's saying, do you want your life back? Do you want your life back? Because sickness is a thief. And it robs us of life. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. I'm here to tell you that what Jesus did for that man, he'll do for you. That, and you say, how can I believe that, Pastor Josh? It's simple. I took you on a journey from Isaiah 53 all the way to 1 Peter 2.24. You have a right to believe for healing. You have a right to trust the God. The same God who saved you is the same God who will, who will heal you. He's the same God who will fix your marriage. He's the same God who will restore peace to your mind. He's the same God who will heal you of depression, of anxiety. No matter what ails you. There's a, there's a, a little tray in my mother-in-law's house that's got the Coca-Cola logo on it. And underneath it, it says, it'll cure what ails you. And we know that Coca-Cola will not cure what ails you. It may amplify what ails you, actually. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that the blood of Jesus will cure what ails you. 
And and listen, again, I'm not trying to be heavy-handed with this this morning. I'm trying to give you hope for your future, not get you to question your past. I want to give you hope for what the Bible says that even though our situations have changed and fluctuated and even though things have happened in the past in my own life that don't line up completely with this book, it's not going to quelch, a squelch rather, the hope that's in my heart to believe that next time I pray for somebody, they're going to get healed. Amen. Come on, are you with me this morning? I'll never stop praying for people to be healed. Never. It's part of the assignment of our church. It's part of why we do hope and healing nights and hope and healing services. I, oh man, I don't have time to tell you about the day God gave me the vision for hope and healing. I was sitting minding my business at Local Lion, just eating donuts, coffee, you know, health food. And God all of a sudden just started to pour into me this vision for, for seeing our state be healthy again. Not because we have taught people how to eat their vegetables, but because Jesus is still healing people today. Amen. I want to encourage you with this word today. Don't don't let this be a frustration to you. I know that maybe it challenges all of us on some level because our experiences don't always match up and line up with what this book says. But don't let that discourage you this morning. Rather, let it encourage you to pray again. Let it encourage you to go back to the word. Let it encourage you to go back to these broken situations in your life. And let it encourage you to trust and believe God again. Because I'm here to tell you that, that, that the, the Bible says that the one who began a good work in you is faithful and he'll complete it. Amen. Would you stand up to your feet this morning? Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.